give us the ability to help influence how society can and does interact with this new technology, how it handles it, whether or not it is rejected outright or is more tacitly accepted or even just meh, whatever with, with certain technologies. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got different sections of the, the populace and you can kind of see the difference in those sections of populace when it comes to those that are freaked out by the idea of genetically modified food and things like that. And those that are just more hmm, asking the question of how is this genetically modified? You know, you have the, the mistaken understanding that, Oh, the corn that I get at the store you know, that's not genetically modified. It absolutely is genetically modified. The mm-hmm. banana is genetically modified. The grapes, the every piece of food there that is so-called quote-unquote organic, is genetically modified. Even 50 years ago, a lot of these foods did not exist in the state they do when you walk into the supermarket today. The difference is how you got there. Genetic modification uh, is how we have been able to feed the world. Our population is humongous. And yet the starvation from overpopulation never happened because of science genetically altering food to grow more bountiful, grow in better conditions, etc. I, I think there was a scientist from the 1950s that invented uh, golden wheat, I think it was called, uh, or golden rice. Yeah, I think it was rice that he did. He was an American. And the Chinese took this uh, new hybrid and were able to feed their increasing populations so that people didn't starve, which was a benefit, um, but it was a benefit done through science and some kind of genetic manipulation. I don't think they actually had the ability to do the genome. Back then, they did it by breeding, the old-fashioned way that we used to do our genetic modifications. But yeah, there's so many benefits to this kind of thing, and yet people don't always realize that. Yeah, but uh, also to the point that uh, Bill and I have discussed in the past there is the question of the influence that gets you to saying can i do this and the ethical question of should i do this and ah. when it comes to genetic manipulation genetic modification that's something that we as authors can have an influence on but at the same time it's something that as a society we also have to realize that the idea of absolute bans on research that doesn't stop the research from happening. It's going to happen. It's just a question of whether or not it's going to happen behind closed doors of a corporate or government lab or more in an open setting where you have actual ethicists that might be involved. <laughs> yeah, I got news for you. And for the Brittle Riders and then my later work on Splice, which major motion picture coming out in 2021. I've been dealing with some people who do work in the bleeding edge end of things and talking to them and having dinner with them and, you know, drinks with them and what have you. I was appalled to find out that especially since 2017, 
none of these people have any government interaction whatsoever. They at least used to have liaisons where they went back and forth with the Department of Defense, you know, whoever they need to talk to. They don't anymore. They are cut free. They are on their own. They are in, you know, in the old cliche, they're in the dark basement with the one light bulb. And you always know if there's one person in one room with one light bulb and a second person walks in, only one's coming back out. Because that's what's going on down there, you know? It, it scares the shit out of me because there is no oversight on what people are thinking and what they're talking about or what they're doing. And, you know, the Elon Musk uh, information that I used for my upcoming novel, Splice, where you can put a, an implant into this spine and give it give the human uh, body musculature and strength and stuff that it hasn't exercised or worked out for. You suddenly become very popular, very powerful. Uh, you can process data quicker. And I added some bells and whistles into it because, hey, I'm writing it. So, you know, you can access the Internet from your right eye. And things like that. But, hey, why not? But um, that research is no longer above board. It was when Musk originally put his company together and there was published papers about it. Now, for the last three years, it's being done somewhere. I don't know where. I cannot tell you where. I can tell you it's going on. I can tell you that he he sliced that part of his company off, but nobody's looking at this stuff. And there's some stuff that's going on. It's just like, dude, you know, you could be creating a whole separate race of people. Hey, we've got the money for the implant. We get our implants. Everybody else, fuck off. China's country doing that separately. Yeah. yeah. People, they, they just went and they uh, announced uh, last year that they had... Um, genetically modified um, embryos that had been born and there were uh, what it was usually was one and then it turned out there were like four or five of them that were done by this one scientist and just conveniently announced uh, at a time just before a conference about it. And it's like, that, that whole story is kind of freaky, but it's like science fiction has been touching on this whole concept of genetics and cloning and other stuff for 80 plus years. Okay, you go back to Jerry was a man or Joshua son of none or some of these other stories. Mm -hmm. And it's like the whole sociology and moral implications of doing this have been, go have been debated in sci-fi for years. And yet scientists are still blindly running and playing with it because, oh, cool, we can. Which is slightly scarier than, than politicians who are trying to come up with even things whether we can or can't. Yeah. If you could go to Walmart and they put a little slice in the back of your neck, slap something in on your spine, and all of a sudden your immune system is like top-notch. Uh, your organs and everything function at 100% capacity, never, you know, so your, your, your pulse goes down to like 40 because it doesn't need to be pumping anymore. Your muscles contract and become really strong. You're in and out of Walmart in a couple of, you know, in 15 minutes. And by the next day, you're this incredibly powerful human being. You know people are going to do it without realizing the implications of what happens when you have that done, how you can do damage, how you can do serious damage. People given the option to do something stupid, I have discovered will universally do something stupid. It's, I think it's more of a, the possibility that only a few people will have access to this, not the mass majority of people, where the problems begin. It goes to the, um, the quote from... Men in Black of all things, <laughs> where K is talking to J, um, and he is basically tells them that you know humans are smart. Now that only that doesn't apply to all persons. There are people that, as you suggest, Bill, are going to do something stupid because hey, y'all hold my beer. <laughs> and at the same time, there are individual people that are smart and handle it that can 
understand the implications when they go in and they're conscious of the fact that, you know, in a, in a couple of days, I'm going to be strong enough to punch a hole through my car, right? And we'll consciously control that. And then there's the, you know, the jerk from down the street that's going to go, oh, yeah, now I can go beat somebody up and is going to end up killing multiple people because they get in a bar fight. Individual people generally are smart, but as a people, as a large group, are dumb, stupid, panicky animals. And and to go back to what Wendy said, you're right. Uh, to, for those of you who missed the quote, it's uh, a person is smart, people are stupid. It's, it's much more succinct. But anyway, um, to go back to what Wendy said, there could also be the dichotomy of those who can afford it and those who cannot, which would then lead to a superior ruling class. And we all know how well that goes with human issues. I don't have to go back on that one. So we're left with one of two things out of this little bit of technology that I just described. Either A, we end up with a superior ruling class of metahumans who control everything that the humans do, or we end up with a lot of really not qualified people suddenly having the equivalent of superpowers. And, you know, look at what was just happened in our, in our country during this pandemic. Something simple was stay the fuck home, keep yourself together. Couldn't handle that. They had to run around and all this bullying and belligerence and all this. And they're using that, that those opportunities to go out and bully and be belligerent to minorities and you know everybody else. This is something simple, folks. This is not complex stuff. This is don't go outside so you don't die. It's simple. I've lost two friends to this coronavirus, buried two, and one survived. I've known others who've gotten it and survived, but one. She was on her bed in London, and the Anglican priest came in and read her last rites because she had the pink foam in her mouth and couldn't get a ventilator. And somehow God only knows. And she's a hardcore atheist, so this is all funny to her, with the priest and everything anyway. But uh, they they got her a ventilator. She lived. Obviously, otherwise I'm not telling you this story. You know, and she talks she talked to me about the coronavirus. She had it for four weeks. And in the fourth week, her body was wrapped with so much pain and so much blood. The pink foam that comes out of their mouth is the blood expirating through the lungs, and you're literally drowning in your own blood, and it's puking up in pink foam. So, yay, that's fun. This is a horrible, horrible disease, you know, and it's spreading exponentially. And we, we use that word, but I don't think people realize what the f*** it means. If the five of us here went out and infected two people each, by the end of the week, there'd be a little over 10,000 sick people. And at a 5% mortality rate, which is what we're right right now in the United States, that's a lot of debt. And that's what we're looking at, you know, trying mm-hmm. to stop that curve. And we can't if we can't do something simple, you don't want to give these jag off superpowers. And we don't want them running around with superpowers. Can mind well, that know, Bill, if everybody was given superpowers at the same time, it, in a sense it would cancel everything out because it would be the new normal. And we oh. would socially learn to uh expect how these things were going and eventually it would normalize if everybody was equal okay how many of you have seen the greatest american hero or the latest shazam movie yes yes, yes. okay so imagine that you're giving somebody all of those powers only they're not invulnerable and they're not bulletproof so suddenly oh yeah i can jump and splat okay one down it's very darwinistic Yes. You would learn from the example. You might lose a few people at first, but eventually everyone would get the message to not jump. Look at all of these stupid Facebook, Instagram, TikTok challenges. The Tide Tide Pod challenge, the jump out of a moving car and start dancing challenge. 
people know that these things are dangerous and are still going out and trying it anyway to prove that they can. So again, I'm saying that if everyone is given this uh, ability, if we all suddenly had this longevity, good heart rates, that's what Bill was saying, good mm -hmm. health, basically, I think eventually it would just normalize and people would realize that there were new limits, perhaps. Look at people bungee jumping off of mountains and surviving, doing things that were almost impossible 50 years ago. We have, heck, what was it, uh, George Bush jumping out of an airplane. He's in his 80s, for goodness sake. You know, all this stuff going on that in uh, previous uh, generations would have been impossible. But we do it, and we consider it normal now. I have to dispute some of that a little bit, because despite the inherent danger of jumping out of an airplane, the fact is, it is actually relatively safe comparative to what we're describing here with uh, Bill's chip. There was actually a movie recently, STEM, that sounds very similar to that. There's uh, STEM, and in the, our book, Splice, uh, is similar to the old movie, Splice, in like some very, very simple regard. Right. And then I, I've gone completely different direction with it. But uh, yeah, people have done this. The idea didn't come completely brand new to my brain. I looked at science and scientists and some sci-fi stuff. And most of the people who've done this stuff on the chip are using Elon Musk's tech. So I, I just joined the pantheon of people who there. That exists. And then we took a look and went, and it exists in a dark room now. I think, Wendy, when you say give it out to everyone, like if, if, if there was some magic way that on a Monday at 2 o'clock, the whole planet could get this. Yes. I'd say you got a 50-50 chance of being right. But I'd say I've got a 60-40 chance of being writer. As a sci-fi writer, you are pointing out what the possibilities are, and that's what we do. That's Look, what we have, I, I if, could be wrong. I don't know. I'm optimistic that we will use what we have for good eventually. And yes, we have obstacles to overcome, but I like to, uh, I like to be positive, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, Bill, it's good that you do point out that there might be dangers associated with this kind of behavior because it does show in a safe way through literature what could happen. And that's that's what our function is as writers. You know, we split the atom. And instead of powering electricity for humans all over the world, we've murdered a million motherfuckers in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Every time we've had an advance in science that, is, quote unquote, could benefit mankind, we pretty much commit genocide. So I'm, I'm um, going to stick with my call on this one. What about the space program and how all the wonderful benefits that have come out of that with technology? Yeah, but I mean, the, the entire space program is based on the technology necessary to kill people at a long distance. Okay. Yes, but it turned around and you gave you telemetry to to and home? cell phones and microwaves and other things that aren't. I mean... Only recently did you end up with a movie that actually decided to use the microwave as a murder weapon. <laughs> it's true that many positive benefits have come out of the space program. Uh, as Damon pointed out, uh, Ron Brown, when the original rockets were invented, they were going to go across the English Channel and kill people. And even, even the space program, you're looking at stuff like you're talking about, we have satellites right now that if we could legally do it, you could put a lens in there fire a laser behind it, and you've got yourself a death ray. And I've seen the specs on how to build one. You could build the, the particle part of it, the, the, the actual ray part of it, in your garage. You know, you, you need some lenses, you need a nice high-power laser, send that sucker up in a Sputnik, whatever you got this week, and, um, you know, SpaceX stops that thing into space, and you're carving sections of the country up in, you know, 
200,000 degree heat, which dilated back. And I don't have the bill, but has it been happening? Even though we have the technology, the answer is really no. No. We have systems in place that protect us. It's a it's an ethical and cultural um, balancing point. And you know, there's always a danger. There's going to be death rays coming down from above, and let's hope that it doesn't happen. But there's checks and balances in our governments that happen to help prevent that. And it's a fine point. It's a balancing point. And so far, it's been happening. And I don't know. I Like I said, I like to think positive for the future. Even I, though there is the possibility of this danger happening, there's the balance that help protect everyone. It could go crazy. History is full of violence and uh, discrimination and I mean, you just uh, look, uh, you know, the flow of countries moving back and forth in Europe. Um, technology has been based on war through most of human history. I'd like to think maybe moving a little beyond that. Uh, I would love to think that as well. Um, and as much as I, I say on a regular basis that Bill lives the best possible life because <laughs> of the, the stories and experience he's been through. I'm I'm trying to come up with how do I say this and not trip over myself and get myself in trouble sort of story here. I have my own experiences that hmm, the idea that we don't have what Bill is describing already in orbit, I'll just say a simple absolute is a false statement. Oh, I'm sure we do have it in orbit. I'm not quibbling that he is, but Ronald, we're not. Ronald Reagan wanted uh, it. Yeah, Ronald Reagan wanted it. Uh, I, we don't know if it ever happened. They did, never built what he wanted to build, the uh, Star Wars technology. Never no, really got built. They, they did one better yeah. or two. The thing is, the capability is, is likely there. I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not in the military. I don't know what's up there. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if the capability was there. But that is what check and balance is all about between the different countries. For instance, if another country did a death ray on us, we they know that we would retaliate to them. And that creates that kind of Cold War balanced kind of thing that's been going on that basically has been protecting the world. In many ways, we have been living in a golden age. I mean, there is less war going on now and historically there has been that's not true there is that's not it, it true. exists it is going on but it doesn't affect people perhaps as globally as it used to we live in an age where we are fighting more by proxy so while america and russia are not fighting each other and making front page headlines you go down to somalia you'll find american weapons you'll find russian weapons and you'll know which side of the street is sponsored by who you go into nigeria you'll find the chinese weapons you go into um Palestine, you find Russian and Chinese weapons. And I, this is not me, paranoid theories or anything. This is simply boots on the ground. And I have friends in those countries. I don't doubt that it's happening at all. We, we fight wars by proxy now. So like what happened in Dubai, where we almost went, got into a shooting war with uh, the Saudi Emirates and everybody in the Middle East. That would have been a freak show. And somehow cooler minds prevailed. I'm with you there, Bill. I, I watched that happen. I knew, I know what was uh, some of the background pieces, and that, that scared the hell out of me. We are doing these war by proxies now. 
so we get to go and get our war on, and we get to hire people to do war for us, and we get to go kill stuff. We're not bombing Russia. Russia's not bombing us. Germany's not bombing England. England's not bombing anybody. Right. So in on the popular media side, we've got other shit on our minds, other shit on our lives. It's not there. It's you know out of sight, out of mind. It's over there. But in the real world, people are dying every day. So Americans can go be America. Russia can go be Russia. And China can go be China. And they may not be using deaths on major cities, but they are still, the war aspect is still out there. And somebody someday, because this is what humans do, somebody somewhere is going to push that button and they're not going to have the, any checks and balances in the way. And then I don't know what happens. All bets are off after that. And I think well, Damon I, might I agree with that. It does, war is still there. It's still there. But the entire world is not at war. And there was a time when the entire world was pretty much at war. We are slowly pulling back and, and hopefully bringing some sanity into things. We are at war. The whole world is at war. We're just fighting over other people's bodies. The Americans are not invading Russia. Russia and America are fighting in Africa. China and America are fighting in Africa and the Middle East. Middle East is Russia, China, Afghanistan, for example, Russia and America went head to head. But in Afghanistan, so the people who died were Afghanis, not Russians, not Americans. So it's okay. We're killing all the other motherfuckers, but we're not killing each other. So it's not okay for problems. anyone to die, Bill. I'm not saying that it is. I'm I, saying I, we're still I, in war. I would not want anybody to be suffering for that. I would like to see everyone uplifted into a more peaceful life. And I but think I, that's. I still believe we are heading more peace than we are toward more pulling us back a little bit to the actual subject of influence (laughs) 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 we were getting getting a little deep there not that it isn't a legitimate conversation to have i agree with you wendy that i'd love to see that i'm sure bill would agree with that as well Mm -hmm. that we want to see that better world we want to see a pull we want to see an end to these proxy wars let's change up the war rather than having a war of you know who can kill more of the other's uh, proxy how about who can uplift who can benefit the other's proxy more and you know flip the script on it a little bit now that would be a better world for all of us do i want to see that absolutely can we see that I wonder sometimes if the human race isn't at or really close to that breakout point. The question of do we survive our own nature long enough to get beyond it? Bring it back to sci for a minute. Do you remember that Star Trek episode when they had two warring planets? And the way they did it was that they had, it was like a lottery. Computer calculated number of deaths and then lottery as to who had to walk exactly. into the Exactly, and they used to go to a center and and uh, and be and be killed or vaporized or something. Yes, right. And I it was all very, very clean and sterile and yeah. Magical I wonder and, if we're da- in danger of that mm, one day in the future. I, I hold so little hope out for humans as a race. Um, I think something's going to re- replace us and be better. Um, and in the Brittle Riders, my replacements are better and are more fun and they drink. <laughs> that's part of that break point that it, what replaces us may be something of our own creation it may be something that simply survives our own destruction our own killing of ourselves off we seem to have this fear of being replaced as well i mean my soft trilogy 
there is something which is essentially better than us. The Sophons are better than us. They're more intelligent, they're more sentient, but at the bare roots of it, they don't have any interest in replacing us. They actually want to coexist with us. And it's the humans that are scared of them. So I, I don't know that it, we should necessarily be frightened of something replacing us. Um, I mean, my, the Sophon trilogy is quite positive, actually. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like that in a couple of places. It is very positive. And um, I think maybe we're, we're more frightened of AI than we, than we should be. I think it, maybe it could be a good thing. No, I agree with you. And I, I think that's part of whether or not we succeed in surviving, because I think what our biggest stumbling block is not so much our ability to make war with each other. It's our fear that underlies that. And that fear is what drives so many of our actions, regardless of what the overarching claim may be. If you dig in 99% of the time, you will find a fear of something, a fear of the unknown, a fear of other, a fear of being replaced. And if we can overcome that, to borrow a phrase, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, literally, because that fear is what will drive us to the self fulfilling prophecy of ending ourselves. You're right. And I think that's why the willful cult of ignorance is the most dangerous thing on the planet. Because if you if you're afraid and you're living all your life in fear, then anything we say, anything we do, any way Wendy can show us hope. She can show us how snails can be used as batteries to turn humans into a flying carpet, whatever that's completely I know, but the idea is there can be many beautiful things in one place. We, we as a group and we as a society can show them. But as long as we allow this willful cult of ignorance to run around, and it, as Damon so eloquently put it, afraid of everything. Or not, I said it. Anyway, that's what he meant. And, but, you know, if, if we allow people to just be afraid, that fear drives things. And fear makes a horrible motivator. My friends won't come to my neighborhood because they're afraid of the dark-skinned neighbors I have and the people who have funny accents that I have. Me, I love these people, and they love me back, and we all get along fine. Why? Because I'm not afraid. But if we can't, as a society, get to that point where we're not afraid, we're going to have a problem, and we're seeing it. The, the one nice, I don't know if it's a nice thing about the pandemic, but the one thing about the pandemic is you're seeing people act out on that fear. They're acting out completely irrational. They're, they're jumping to the front to, ah! I must stop this. I must stop. I'm afraid. This is scary. This is horrible. This is a dark shadow. I don't understand it. And we got to get people to understand. We got to get people to learn that science is our friend. Even scientists who are trying to build half human, half bulls, they're still looking to do bettering things with us. But if we're afraid of everything, then we're going to take those chimeras in the future and turn them into slaves. And if we turn them into slaves, my book becomes the daily news. And we don't want that. We need to get people, as Damon said, we got to get them past that fear. But right now, we are not past that fear. We are not, as a society, past that fear. And until we are, hope is something we got to hold to the side. It's got to be kept close. We, we need to do something else, like get out on the street and go, don't. Don't do that. That is stupid. Please don't drink bleach. No, don't drink bleach. I agree with that, Bill. The Florida, I, I the Florida school system actually advised kids to drink bleach to prevent. Uh, 
this yes, this is true. Back to education and yeah. things of that nature. And yeah, sometimes people say silly things, but we have to use our our minds, our education, and our own innate uh, abilities to make up our own minds. And I think for the most part, everybody is pitching it. I mean, just, I don't know. Like I said, I, I have a positive view. I mean, I come from a background of, of being an inner city school teacher, and I have seen despair. I've had to sit there and cross names off my roster of children that were killed in gun violence. It was a scary thing. And yet, even there, I would see some hope. And the hope came from education, from thinking, and learning that through means of your own two hands, you could lift yourself up out of these kind of situations. But if each one of us acts to help and uplift, that's just that much better for the world. The key there is that we need more people to understand how to think rather than our current the majority of people simply being told what to think and accepting without question and that comes from better education that comes from getting people involved in science fiction because science fiction makes you think it doesn't tell you what to think about it. It's laying something there and giving you the opportunity to think about what's being said. It's not expecting you to simply accept the claims that are made, the position that the author may take, but you disagree with that author vehemently. You know, as a woman, I'm not always, science fiction really wasn't geared toward women at first. It was a very male-dominated, uh, almost all the writers were white men um, up until just very recently. And most of the stories were geared toward men in general. And there were very few women. And the few women that were writing had to change their names to either initials or have male non plumes to hide the fact that they were women in our genre. And thank goodness that is also changing step by step. I do believe that science fiction as a genre uh, for readers and for the writers, we do show the way. And I think we can show a way that's positive. We can choose to show a way that's negative, but it's up to the reader to decide for themselves. And that is, I think, what I like about science fiction the best. It assumes that I, the reader, has a mind and can make up my own mind about things, whether or not I agree with the author or not. And I think that's why I've been reading it for, gosh, at least 45 years now, starting with Space Cat. What can I say? <laughs> Yay, Space Cat. There are different parts of the genre that play into that and help out with that. Um, and that, uh, that counterpoint, whether it be the brittle writers and the kind of dystopian, this is the worst that can happen. There is no more humanity. We replaced ourselves with what we created to i can't remember the name you said for the uh, comic Savarchek, which is giving you know a hopeful and i like the way you um write <laughs> 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 but Sorry. i like the way you described a fire god it's a woman trapped inside a man and a god trapped inside a human right and how the the fire god examined this person's mind and was like holy crap, 
I have never experienced the kind of pain that you have experienced in your short life, and I've lived for millennia. And, and that provides this hopeful that it can be overcome, just like the Brittle Riders can be seen as a cautionary tale, just like uh, the Sophon, um from Gray so could be seen so font right uh, could be seen as a future positive look with a little bit of the cautionary in the background. For myself, I tried to make Chaos Fountain a little bit more of a overcoming the limitations of the main character and learning to accept things that were so far outside of his simple Walmart worker. You know, I, I didn't call the the business Walmart because Walmart is so happy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, it's basically a big box store, right? With managers that, uh, you know, you're, Oh, I'm going to just going to fire you unless you work a 16 hour day. I don't care that your car caught on fire in the middle of the parking lot. <laughs> He's nothing. He's a nobody. He's Joe Nobody. And he gets pulled into this universe that is beyond. He wants to be a writer, but he's got no ideas because he wasn't a big reader. And that's a big thing about if you want to write, read. I totally agree with that. As a author, which book do you feel that other than one of your own, that everybody has to read to really get into or understand things about sci-fi? What is the must-read book, in your opinion, that people have to have? I'm going to start with Bill. Canticles for Leibowitz. It's uh, got sociology. It's got religion. It's got uh, science. It's got science fiction. It's got the development of a new society after an apocalypse. And uh, it's just an amazing, amazing piece of work. It's won Hugo and a bunch of other awards. And it, it should, they should go back and give it more as far as I'm concerned. Incredible book. Canticles for Leibowitz. Okay, Greg? Um, well, most people have read this, but um, 1984 really sticks in my mind. But ever since I first read it, it stuck with me, and I think it possibly has influenced parts of some of my stories as well. Damien? I'm torn between uh, Gregory Bedford uh, Artifact and the Eon and Eternity series. Ooh, that one we haven't discussed. That, that, that's a really interesting series. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm kind of torn between one those two sets, although I lean towards more art, towards Artifact, actually. Okay. I, I loved that book. <laughs> Wendy? Yeah, there's so many classic stories. I, I'm trying to think of something that's maybe a little more recent. Um, actually, I think I'm going to recommend uh, Nancy Kress' book, Records Spain, also, I believe, a Hugo Award winner, um, about... Um, uh, genetic manipulation and the common effects of those problems, um, unforeseen problems that happen with this kind of um, the story. I it was the first story of hers that I've ever read, and it has really stuck with me. And just the the steps that were debated and whether or not I agreed with them of her conclusions or not was not the important thing, but it made me think. And I think that is the essence of what science fiction is. I'm going to go a little bit out there and go with The Phantom Toll Booth. That's cool. Love that book. Which blew my mind as a kid reading it and got me thinking because this whole concept of people growing from babyhood to the ground so they never have to change the point of view and other things 
really was seditious writing for teenagers or uh, preteens kind of thing. And that really kind of opens your mind to the possibilities of what you can think about and what you can describe. Okay, so as we're wrapping this up, I'm going to ask you each to say a couple of words about yourself and where people can find you, and we'll call it a, a wrap. So we'll start with Wendy going backwards this time. Um, I'm Wendy Van Camp. I'm an author and poet. Uh, my current book, The Planets, has just been nominated for an Elgin Award, um, and it's available on all uh, online outlets. Um, uh, let's see. I also write some historical fiction. I have an Austin-inspired Regency series that uh, is available. Book one is out. Uh, book two is coming. And, of course, uh, I publish a lot of science fiction and poetry all over the place. Just go to my website, and you can see my writing credits and find where some of these stories are. Or in some, a few of them are already published for free on the website. And my website is nowastedink.com. Uh, you can find me at DC Ballard, uh, where you can find a link over to uh, Chaos Fountain, my currently released book, uh, which is available, of course, on Amazon, Goodreads, etc. cetera. Uh, you can follow that over to my blog, which is uh, Scribblings. Uh, there you'll find my log entries, uh, epic sci-fi space opera series, uh, as well as some other short fiction and uh, the, the occasional poem that I decide is worthy of being published. <laughs> I've got at least uh, one more work, uh, hopefully, if I can get it uh, back from the beta reader uh, soon. Uh, I hope to release uh, this year uh, called Homecoming. At the moment, my website is scifiwriter.wixsite.com slash Greg Krojak, but it will revert to being gregkrojak.com soon, hopefully. I'm on Twitter at, at, Krojak, at Krojak Greg. And hopefully my next release will be, I'm not sure when it will be, but it's called The Weatherman. And it's basically about a society where you have four sectors and sector A is like the top of the pile and sector D is, is at the bottom of the pile. And I suppose in a way it's a, it's a, it's a look at the caste system. Um, so that's me. <laughs> Uh, Bill McCormick, uh, Bill McSciFi, BillMcSciFi.com, and Bill McSciFi on all social media. My next book coming out is called Splice. Um, it's the story of a 10-year-old kid who gets dumped in Oklahoma and ends up becoming the world's greatest supervillain. Uh, it's kind of dark, but oddly, people seem to really, really like it. So the beta readers we had on it, I was lucky to get to a dozen at this time around, and they were uh, universally positive on it. So that's coming out. And uh, later this year, Gopri of the Mists is coming out, which answers the musical question nobody asked. What would it be like to have a prequel sequel to The Brittle Riders? Uh, I just had to get it out of my head. I had all these notes on The Brittle Riders. I wrote The Brittle Riders and I staged everything in North America because I wanted a linear story. But I had written stuff for the Caribbean and India and all these other places. I decided one day I started putting them back together in, in random order. So the prequel and a sequel all in one book. Saves you time. You don't have to buy two books. So that's coming out. And I'm Eric Klein. Uh, my novel, The One, came out uh, just over two years ago, working on the sequel, Just Two. Both of them have assorted poetry, which I didn't mention earlier, some that I've written, some that I borrowed from Shakespeare and modified. And I can be found at ericlkline.com. Don't forget to check out the Sapphire Roundtable if you are an author or you want to interact with the 
uh, authors that you've met here as well as other uh, Knights of the Re Sci-Fi Roundtable. And if you're a reader and you want to get deals on some of the uh, Knights' uh, works, check out Reading the Roundtable on Facebook. And this was the Sci-Fi Roundtable podcast on Sci-Fi Influences. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you.